back to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. This podcast show is designed to give you, the private investor, the details on how this market works. Commercial property can sometimes come across as a very opaque market. It can be quite difficult to understand what's going on, or who the players are, and what product you actually need to provide to get good customers. In fact, are there even any customers out there? This podcast is here to help give you some context around these items and to allow you to improve your understanding so you can make better informed decisions. Ultimately, of course, the decision making is up to you, but the best thing you can do is go out there, listen, learn, find out as much as you can and get yourself educated so your decision making will become more and more successful. And I hope in some small way we can help you with that journey. So thank you for listening in really want to help and really appreciate all the feedback and the reviews we've been getting, including the most recent one from, I'm going to say, BB88. That's the thing about reading out review names. Anybody can write whatever name they like, so that when I read it out, it might sound a bit, you know. Unfortunately, this is a family show, so on this occasion I've shortened the written name to BB. If you want to see what BB stands for, Go to the iTunes review section and you'll see it there. Oh, and while you're there, why don't you leave us a review too? So, BB88, we salute you. Thanks for the review. If anyone wants a shout-out, just leave us one. But make sure it's a good one, of course. Okay, so let's get on to this episode. I want to talk about design considerations. This is actually a follow-up to episode 22, which seems an awful long time ago. It was about design appeal and attracting customers. This one I want to talk to you about some of the design considerations when you're looking at a CMO or a multi-let building. This is even more important for things like serviced office spaces and areas where you really want to try and create community. If you're just trying to give a functional space where, for example, you've got maybe a large industrial unit and you want to split it into several units where there may be some communal services but not really reception or anything like that other than maybe toilets and a tea point, then this podcast may not be so relevant. But it's best I tell you that now, right? But if you want to go beyond that simple offer, then here's some of the design considerations you might want to think about. I'm going to go into them in a minute, but it's important to point out this is both in terms of design appeal for customers, but also design in terms of how your layout might work best for you. And to ensure that before you develop out your space, you think about some of those things, because it can be a right pain in the neck to go back and change things later. So here's some of those items that I think about when I'm looking at potential CMO projects. It won't be everything, but as many as I can remember for just now. This is orientated around design and bridges a little bit between space design, layout design and interior design. And those of you with a specific design-orientated profession, please don't be offended by my offhand amalgamation of some of those sacrosanct disciplines. (laughs) This is my top 12 design tips. And they're in no particular order, but I'm really trying to help those who are starting out or have smaller buildings and just need an aid memoir. So the first one is communal areas. This includes breakout space, tea points and reception areas where interactions are going to happen between customers. Some buildings might need lots of this and actually by providing it, although you can't specifically charge for that space, it actually lifts the price of everything else. For example, just because someone wants a two-person office doesn't necessarily mean they want their own space for meetings and sofa discussions and tea making and all that stuff. 
Actually, they're quite happy to have a smaller two-person space and share the rest of the stuff with everybody else because it keeps the cost down. And T-points are really critical to think about in all this because those interactions that take place between customers have to be deliberate. You can't just hope they're going to happen. If you want to build community, it's where your customers are most likely to bump into each other and make connections. The T-points are the most convenient place where they're going to be able to have a discussion over that cup of coffee or tea. And if you want to provide tea and coffee, that is. It's dependent on what level of service you've determined you to provide, of course, in your area to get the best occupancy for your building. And that's all about understanding what the market wants, because some people might provide real high quality offer at the press of a button with bean to cup. And if it's really nice coffee, you might even want to have a barista. Or at the other end, you might just want to provide instant coffee and tea bags and some milk. You may not even provide that. It just depends on what's the best offer for your market, because what you're trying to determine is what your market wants. But I do think you need a bare minimum here. You need to provide a tea point, and trying to make that tea point a focal point is really important. So remember that when you're looking at new buildings, even a tiny tea point can be designed to make those meetings and interactions happen between clients. That's when they build those relationships, which starts to build community and provides some of the glue and stickiness to make them hang around. So let's move on to the second one. This is about toilets. A few things about toilets. Where are they located? How many do you really need? And are you going to be doing gents' toilets and ladies' toilets? Or maybe unisex toilets? And of course, don't forget about the disabled toilet. Some buildings we've bought have had lots and lots of toilets. And actually, we've reduced the number. And I'm talking in terms of rooms, not just cubicles. In one building, I think we had seven sets of toilets when we bought it. But in actual fact, we've ended up reducing that down to five, which is perfectly adequate. And it's given us two extra rooms to rent out. In other buildings, it's gone the other way, though. We've had to provide more. It's about, pardon the pun, convenience, isn't it? But also it's about making sure that people interact and meet each other. And if you've got six storeys or seven storey building and you put a set of toilets in every single storey, that's definitely going to be convenient for people, but there's going to be less interaction because they're only going to interact with people on their level, their level of the building. So sometimes you might need to put in T-points on intermittent floors or every second floor because that'll create more interaction between those different floors. The alternative is to create shared space or communal space on perhaps the ground floor, the middle floor, or somewhere, so there is a drive for people to go and meet in another space because of the breakout area. So just have a think about how you're going to drive people to meet each other, because it really does help. Now, do those current toilets that you're looking at have windows? Because windows are really valuable. And if you've got a T-point or a toilet block which are sitting on the perimeter of a building, sucking up lots of daylight, then it's a wasted opportunity. In a number of our buildings, we've taken our toilet core from the perimeter and put it into the centre of the building. Where plumbing will allow it, of course. And sometimes we have to really think hard about how we're going to plumb it up. But we usually get there in the end. You've just got to really think these things through sometimes. But what it does is it releases prime lettable space on the perimeter where you've got those windows. It amazes me how many old buildings have the toilets around the perimeter using up window space. And it's really valuable. You don't really need a window and a T-point either, do you? And to be fair, if you did have a window in the toilets, you'd probably have it frosted over anyway. 
So think about that when you're looking at properties. Are the windows in the toilets on the outside wall? And if they are, can you move those things into the centre of the building? Is that going to be physically possible? Where is the connection to the drainage? It's difficult, but it's not impossible. In some buildings, we've ended up ripping out the whole toilet core on each and every floor and moved it into another part of the building to allow us to utilise that window space. And that does increase your income and it does increase the value. Now that leads me neatly onto the third point, which is about the windows again, but about natural light. It's really important because some buildings have really deep floor plates and it's quite difficult actually to get natural light all the way into that internal space. You might have to use a lot of glass to borrow the light effectively through office space to the central area. And I'll come on to the ventilation bit in a minute because that's also a big part of this. It's amazing sometimes how many customers come to us asking for space, specifically asking for windows. It's as though they've been to other buildings and viewed offices that don't have windows. And I know they do exist and we try our hardest to make sure that our spaces have windows. And the thing to think about here is whether... Actually, there are some windows, as I said earlier on, in those toilets, but also are there windows that have been bricked up before that you could reinstate? And it may not be as expensive as you think because there may still be a lintel there. So trying to get that natural light into all offices is really important. The fourth one is ventilation. And generally the rule is if you have a room or enclosed space inside a building with no natural ventilation you'll need to ventilate it by mechanical means and that has a cost doesn't it so if you need to put a room in the middle of your building you're going to have an ongoing cost to ventilate that space plus it's not necessarily got that natural light now i appreciate some floor plates mean you're going to have to do that but maybe you can start doing some more toilet cores in the centre, communal space in the centre, where you might lead out to a, a natural window or natural light, or at least ventilate that space. But what you're trying to do is maximise the smaller spaces around the perimeter. We try as hard as we can to prevent putting those enclosed spaces in the centre of the building, as I say, because there's no natural light, but also because of the ventilation thing. Now, if you're in a really warm climate, then it's going to be slightly different anyway, because you need aircon. The fifth one is, where are you going to site your staff? That's if you're going to have staff, of course. And you may even want to have a community manager on this property. So where are they going to be based? Because part of that hospitality feel, that community feel, if you're going for that, is centred around that person or a team, if you've got more than one person in that building. They almost build the character of the offer in the building. And if you've got free-flowing coffee and communal space, it's important to make sure they're near it or in it as often as possible, because if they're not, then you're missing a trick. It might be that some communal space needs to be close to where your front entrance is, if that's where your community manager needs to be to meet and greet. But either way, you just have to think about where those spaces are located and try and amalgamate them into one if you can. It's just really important they're visible and that they can have those conversations. The sixth one is about partitioning. So this is slightly different, this is a bit more structural. What are you going to do about your partitioning? You see, there's two trains of thought here. One, you put in permanent partition, and I see permanent partitioning as plasterboarding with timber or metal stud. Personally, I prefer timber, by the way. I just think it has less reverberation, and also with Wi-Fi it works better too through those walls. We always soundproof it, of course, and everything else, but ultimately, if you're a customer who wants to take two spaces then we might have to take that wall back down again. And we do that because flexibility is one of our key selling points. 
But the other option is maybe to go for more expensive demountable partitioning, and I have used that. I've used that and stud work. But I have to say, in the main, I prefer using plasterboard and timber stud. Although we do move walls on a reasonably regular basis, I don't think myself it's worth that extra cost for the demountable partitioning. However, it is important to note that demountable partitioning can be right in some circumstances, it can look really good, and it can look really modern, and it will give you more flexibility. There is another technical benefit too, you can capitalise the cost of demountable partitioning because it's a movable fixture, which will allow you to save some tax, at least in the UK anyway. And to give you some of the basics on our standard build-up for partitions, if you're interested, we generally use 90mm stud with two sheets of plasterboard and soundproof insulation in between. So one of those sheets of plasterboard will be um, sound block or acoustic board, and then we may just use a standard board on the inside. We tend to tape those joints and then paint. That's generally how we spec our walls, and of course it does double up as a firewall by virtue of the fact it's got two sheets of plasterboard on either side. Also, um, glass is of course another consideration here, and it might be if you need a lot of light to be borrowed and brought through that demountable partitioning with glass is your only option. But just bear in mind the expense. The seventh one is, while I'm talking about fire, let's mention door locations, fire corridors and fire exits as these are really important when you're looking at potential buildings. One of the key things actually you need to know about your area is your building code and what is the allowable distance from the protected fire stair or the protected fire corridor to the furthest distance away within a space. So for instance, it could be 19 meters or 17 meters depending on the code and the actual space use. So if, for instance, the space is more to do with restaurant space, you might have a tighter fit or retail. Or if it's office space, it might be slightly larger. And it'll also be affected by how many egress points are available, if there's only one or if there's multiple. I would definitely advise you to get an architect on this or somebody who understands the building code in your area, early doors, so that they can give you that information up front. Because it could be fundamental to what you're doing and it could make or break a project sometimes. So for instance, if you want lots of natural light into a space, but you have to make a corridor, a fire corridor, particularly a one hour fire corridor, I can assure you the glass will be extraordinarily expensive. We put in a sheet of glass in a location I felt was really important to have it. So I bit the bullet and did it. But because it was on a one hour fire stair, this sheet of glass was really expensive. I can't remember exactly how much it was, but it was about two and a half thousand pounds. And the sheet of glass was about 1.8 metres high, at the most, by about 800 millimetres wide. It wasn't gigantic. It weighed a ton, of course. Not cheap to buy. But then, of course, you've got to install it. So there's more cost there. If you don't do this kind of development on a regular basis, though, I would speak to people who understand that fire code. Because if you have to start putting in that type of glass, it could be very expensive. You might find it's not just in terms of the wall thickness or the glass either. It might also be the doors because there can be a big expense difference between a regular door, a 30-minute door, or a 60-minute door. Plus, there's the door closures and all the stuff that comes along with that. So it's important to understand how your building code works and what it's going to dictate to you and your development. The eighth one is about technology. So there's a couple of reasons to talk about this in design. One, the final look that you want and the feel and the operational side. 
But secondly, when you're installing all this, you've also got to think about whether you can install it physically. And every day, this stuff gets more and more important and there's more and more of it. So just have a think. Here's some of the stuff that we've put into our buildings. Maybe a, a secure entry system, a monitored fire alarm system, a monitored security alarm system, which can be different than your door security. We've put in speakers and amps and you've got lovely cabling for them. Access cards for both internal and external entry points. Booking system for meeting rooms with access control, maybe. Video and audio entry system, possibly remote even, rather than just on site. This is for customers who have visitors. And along with these, of course, there are lots of others. There's electric sockets, internet access, Wi-Fi points, lighting, which is subdivided in things like discrete lighting, dimmable lighting, emergency lighting, all that stuff. Fire, alarm, brake glasses, sounders, CCTV, you name it. There's all sorts. And there are many things to consider, but you don't have to do all of it. But you could get the professionals in, of course, to help when you're starting to look at these buildings, just to make sure you've got these things in the back of your mind. All of those that I've mentioned do require cabling. Now, I appreciate on some sites, even we have some security alarm and access points that are wireless. I think even we might have one or two PIR sensors that are wireless. But it does mean batteries and all that sort of thing. And sometimes, depending on what thickness your walls are, you may need relay points. So it can get quite complex. And there are things that you really need to think about as much as you can up front. It also depends on, as I say, the building side. You know, for instance, if you're leaving exposed stone, which we've done that in some of our buildings, how are you going to get the cables hidden? How are you going to hide the services? Got to think these things through. The ninth one is, to be fair, a general customer facilities section. <laughs> I couldn't put all of these together in one, but this is depending on your offer and your current market demand. Here are some of the other things you might want to consider. So, for instance, parking, showers or bike racks, things that were asked for quite a lot. All these things will determine what your offer is like and you can go about it by providing everything or, as we've discussed in previous podcasts, you can go about it by checking out what the market needs first. And then once you've identified the key elements of your offer, then you go about putting them in. You might not need showers. You might not need parking. It's important to think about it, though. Sometimes it's not possible, of course. And, for instance, parking might not be feasible. Depends where your site is. And you may have to try and overcome that in the sales process because you just simply can't put parking in. If you're right in a city centre, parking might not be possible. So you've just got to seek out the alternatives for your customers. But, you know, there will be some customers that just won't come and see you because you haven't got parking. But it's not a deal breaker for everybody. And I can assure you, it's not. Some people it's important and others it just simply isn't and they never ask about it. So the 10th one is future-proofing. Earlier on, I spoke about moving the toilet core and the kitchen core to the centre of the building so that you can use up all that lovely window space around the perimeter. And one of the things that I often think about when siting these facilities in new locations is the plumbing. Because sometimes you may have a customer at some point in the future who comes along who needs a sink. They may need some kind of water supply or drainage. So it can be sensible to just think about that access now in case somebody wants water in the future. And it's just designing it such so that adjacent units may be able to tap into it if needs be. And that's basically providing a service void where you can get into it. There are a whole load of other things here, of course, about future proofing. 
which really we need to talk about in another podcast. And that's all your other services like the electrics and the Wi-Fi and all that sort of stuff. But I've gone on too far already in this one. We'll cover that in depth on another podcast in the future. So the 11th thing was, what about wall finishes? And we have all sorts. We've got bare stone. We've got roughs on timber, finished timber, painted timber, wallpaper, matte paint, wipeable paint, gloss paint, you name it, we've tried it. And it does depend on the experience you want to give your customers, what interior design you're trying to create. Wiper walls can be pretty prudent, particularly for certain high traffic areas, I have to say. And wallpaper can make such a difference. But putting in offices can be expensive because after a few short tenancies, that wallpaper will get damaged. It's whether you want the customer to pay for that or whether you end up painting over it because it's just become too marked. Because inevitably, they just don't make that design anymore. You can't get that roll of paper. And here you spent all that money on the beautiful wallpaper and now you're painting over it or replacing it with a completely new batch of paper. You could, of course, if you're a real high end, just build that into the price and every now and then you're going to have to replace the paper. And that's fine. But I think wallpaper in common areas is probably slightly more sensible. It still gives that wow factor but also doesn't necessarily cost you a fortune every time a tenant moves out. Another wee tip on that, when you've got high traffic areas, it might be prudent to invest in those little corner guards you can get in corridors, stairwells, because over time, even if you supply furniture to your customers, they bring in some of their own stuff. And what do they do? They bang the corners. And we found that those neat little corner guards make a real difference because it just keeps down your maintenance. You're not constantly having to go around taping up these corners. So the twelfth one is all about the community. Community creation. Depending on your offer again, a lot of this based on what you've worked out is the best offer for your building location, of course. But try to build a community if you can. A lot of the things we've talked about are related to it anyway, and it helps create stickiness, that sense of belonging for your customers. It's not possible with every offering, of course, but even self-storage sites can create community. Make sure whatever you do in your design, you're thinking about how you want your customers to feel. If they really feel a sense of belonging in your space, chances are they're going to stay for longer. And they're going to invite their friends, and you might even end up having a waiting list. The community isn't a one-dimensional thing, though. It comes from lots of different design elements. Space design, elements, their location, and a choice of facilities. All these things make a difference. But there is a pragmatic element to what I'm talking about, and that's about making your space and your layout work best for your investment and maximising your returns. So it is a blend between the two. And what I've tried to cover here is customer experience, which will inevitably lead to maybe a higher return, but also space design and the most efficient use of space so that you can create the maximum amount of square footage to actually let out. And there's that juxtaposition between providing lots of communal space for customers, but equally providing enough space that you can charge for in terms of square footage. Not that I'm advising you go out and charge by square footage, but just by I really I'm just talking about the size of the spaces. So these are some of the things I think about when I'm redesigning buildings for more modern uses. Because, of course, what we're doing is we're buying a building that's typically devalued because the current market doesn't know what to do with it. And we're identifying some more modern uses for it. So when you're getting started, things don't have to be too complicated. 
But if you just go through these 12 things I've spoken about, that'll give you a good foundation to work from. A little checklist to go through when you're looking at these buildings and what it is that you actually need to consider in terms of design. Now, I will go through some more things later on, as I say in another podcast, about actually the fit-out. Because our fit-out's changed over the years. And we've gone from general vanilla fit-out with sockets and lighting and everything designed in a certain way to thinking more now about future-proofing our spaces and about whether we're going to take walls down, put walls back up and trying to make our spaces as flexible as possible because it really is one of our top selling points. So let's just recap on today. Number one, communal areas, reception, tea points and breakout space. Really important. Where can you fit them in? And do they really need to have windows or could they potentially be in some of those areas that are less desirable for private office space? The second thing is the location of the toilet core and the number of toilets. And whether you're going to be gender specific with toilets or maybe a more modern approach of unisex because that will cut down on the number of units you need. Remember, you will need those disabled toilets as well. The third one was about windows and natural light. It's really important. Can you maximise all the windows or can you recreate some windows that maybe used to be there but have been bricked up? Making use of as much natural light will really enhance your customer experience and maximise the amount of space you can rent out. That then led into the fourth one, which is ventilation, because, you know, in some parts of the world, ventilation can be really sophisticated. In other parts of the world, it's called opening your window. (laughs) But it's really important, particularly if you've got rooms in the middle with no outside windows, that you have ventilation. You need some kind of mechanical ventilation, which is going to give you an ongoing cost. The fifth one was, where are you going to locate your staff, if you're going to put staff in this building, and your community manager, if you're going to go for that kind of terminology, the person who's going to really develop this site and create more of a community by engaging with customers and making sure they're networking and getting to know each other and feeling part of something bigger. Where you locate that person is going to be really important because if they're out in the cold or out in some area where they can't really be seen or nobody walks past them, it's going to be really difficult to do their job. So you might have to create some of that communal space near to where they're based or base them in that space. Bearing in mind, sometimes they will need some private space to go and have those conversations and to get some work done, but it's important they're visible. The sixth one I went on to was about partitioning. Just a couple of notes about partitioning, whether you want to go for fixed or demountable. And of course, how much glazing are you going to need to borrow light in from those outside walls, through the rooms, into internal corridors? It can make a big difference just letting that light in those corridors. And it can be a good technique just to open up the space and make it feel better. But I do think you'll have to look at those building codes at first, of course, because if those are fire corridors, it's going to be slightly different. The seventh one was talking about the building codes in terms of the fire and how important it is and really in terms of escape is what it's called. So when you get started, you'll need help with this building code for your area so you can get up to speed to see how it works and what's going to be allowed and what's not. I mean, nothing's impossible, but sometimes it gets really expensive. The eighth one is how are you going to fit in all the tech? Are you going to fit in lots of tech? What tech are you going to need? for your offer. And there's so many different technologies out there. Some of them will work on Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, but if your walls are too thick, you might need repeaters and batteries might run out and all that sort of stuff. So what tech are you gonna need? 
How are you going to make it work? How many doors do you have, external doors? Therefore, how many security cameras do you need? How many security, um, secure entrances and fobs do you need? And all that sort of stuff. Have a think about that when you're looking at that building and how you're going to manage their installation and, of course, their ongoing um, running. The ninth one was the customer facilities, such as parking, showers, bike racks, possibly lockers if you need any, all that communal space. What is it that you're going to provide for the customer experience there? You might not have to provide any of that. It's up to you and it's partly up to your research as to what you think your market needs. The tenth one was just about future requirements. In this particular one, I was talking about plumbing and about the possibility of somebody needing some plumbing into their units, because you will have somebody who asks you for that in the future. And it's just being mindful of that when you're moving toilets around, if you are, and allowing it so that you could connect in services in the future. So the 11th thing was the wall finishes in terms of the kind of building infrastructure. What type of finishes are you going to put in? Are you going to be going back to stone if it's an old building and has lots of nice character? Are you going to be putting up wallpaper, paint? I've just shared a few experiences that I've had about those. And then the 12th and last one was about the stickiness. This is about the community stuff. This is slightly less tangible, but it's actually all the things we've spoken about and more to get those customers to stay. The stickiness, that's the key bit about getting your building up to maturity and then keeping it full. So thanks for listening. It's been a bit longer this one today, but I just wanted to get a lot of that stuff off my chest. I've been talking to some people recently who are taking on their first buildings, currently doing so, and what they're doing is they're just kind of going through all this stuff and it's in my head and I just thought, right, I'm just going to get it out there. (laughs) And it's important when you're looking at these buildings to consider what you're looking at in terms of design because Although you might get an interior or a space designer or other expert in to do this for you, I think it's really important you understand the general principles of it because they won't always understand what the best offer is. You need to try and get that over to them, of course, but they may have their opinion based on what they've seen before as to what this space needs to look like in terms of technology, space design, wall coverings, all that stuff. But you need to take the reins there and work out what the market's asking for first. So it's good to have that understanding. And some of the things that are going to be important for future and for those customers that are going to be coming in to start taking those looks when they feel maybe they're the guinea pig and they're coming in to look first and taking space. So if anyone has any questions on today's topic, feel free to jump on the Facebook group or to message me directly and we can have a chat about it. As always, I appreciate you tuning in. I'd love for you to jump on the Facebook group if you haven't already done so. It's all the W's, facebook.com forward slash commercial property investor. That'll take you to the page. Click on the group link and we'll see you in there. Hope you got some value from this and look forward to speaking to you all again very soon. All the best for the week ahead. And you've been listening to the Commercial Property Podcast with Jerry Alexander. 